WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WPTF Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayleigh here. Uh, what a nice morning. Um, and, of course, uh, Brother Rufus uh, sitting over there this morning. It's just the two of us in the studio just this morning. Just the two morning. of us. Just the two of But, uh, of course, uh, Miss Ann has uh, officially retired, but um, she's... She's still with us here in the in the studio, where she's still kind of kind of making us uh, work hard here. Uh, we also have uh, our friend Craig Lahoulier or Craig Lahoulier, if you prefer. I'm not uh, Craig. Uh, which do you prefer? Um, I answer to many things. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Are you okay, my friend? I'm doing great. We're we're at a, it's a little bit foggy and it's about. 63 64 degrees so we've we've left the uh the furnace of summer and we're in the comfortable part of our season out here so oh wonderful everybody good there yeah everybody's fine uh we have uh johnny coley who is uh an extension agent in granville and person county also with us i saw johnny yesterday johnny how you doing bud doing well doing well hope everyone in raleigh is and also in hendersonville yeah man yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I wish we had the weather that Henderson did. We're a little bit, little bit warmer. Yeah, it's it supposed to be about 90 today, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, it, 93 is what I thought. So. Yeah, it was warm yesterday, too. It just just really gets to you after a while. Now, Craig, I don't know if, if, if you've ever dealt with pawpaws, but Johnny, Johnny kind of oversees a pawpaw patch, and uh, he's doing research. Uh, among many other things, and he uh, gave Rufus and me some some pawpaws. And Johnny, I got to tell you, I, uh, taking those things back in the car yesterday, they they smell a little bit like this, a little bit like that. But they, I guess, they just smell like pawpaws. It's a nice, sweet smell, though. I, I was very pleasant. Yeah, the um, the pawpaws. In fact, the uh, the director in Granville county extension um she doesn't really care for the taste but she said the smell is very good she said maybe i just need to get some uh, room to get around so that uh, smells like pawpaws and that would be good well you know uh, you know pumpkin spice is so popular maybe we should try pawpaw yeah i i I think you one of the problems uh, might be that it's hard to tell when to harvest pawpaws is that right it, it is. It's a little little tricky. They don't. Uh, if you pick them too early, they don't ripen uh, after you pick them. So it, it is a little bit of a a tricky thing. And they, and then they don't hold very long after you pick them. Their shelf life is, is it's sort of like a fig. A problem. Yeah, maybe like yeah, a fig. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, well, Johnny, now that I have them, tell me what to do with them, my friend. <laughs> well, you can eat them uh, like they are. I was uh, showing. Uh, Mike, yesterday, uh, you just sort of cut them the long way yep. and slice them all the way around and just sort of open them up, and you can scoop them out. They're, the seeds are about the size of a pumpkin seed, I guess. Um, and can you eat the seeds? No, you don't eat the seeds, you, okay. but you can eat around the seeds. They're big enough to eat around. 
and um, it's sort of a custard texture. Uh, so you can just scoop them out out of the out of the peeling. Just sort of scoop them. You can you can get the pulp out and put it in. Um, if you make banana nut bread, you can make pawpaw nut bread rather than just leave the banana out and make pawpaw nut bread. Um, you can put it on ice cream or put it in ice cream, make homemade ice cream with it. I, I've made pancakes with them, put them in the pancake batter, and, uh, and that's that's a good way to, hmm. to eat them as well. But so uh, yeah, there's several ways to. Yeah, Craig, have you have you dealt with pawpaws at all? I have actually uh, have a friend that lives across the street here. She she moved from Raleigh a few years ago, and it's kind of an interesting thing. She was one of my tomato plant customers for twenty years, but she wanted to move to Hendersonville, so she's the next street over. But pawpaws, kiwis, uh, any kind of unusual fruit, um, that's what she's into. So we will have access to a great many pawpaws once her plants start uh, maturing. There is an article in uh, one of the summertime uh, Our State magazines this year that that uh, talks about somebody in the mountains who has a pawpaw passion. It just gives a history and all sorts of information sure. about it. And I have it in the car. I should have brought it in. Maybe I'll go down and get it because uh, I can't remember which month it was. But it's uh, it's certainly worth reading. It's it's very interesting. I have never eaten one, but again, I do like like the smell. We'll try and maybe we can make something out of them. Riverside. Um, July which, edition. The July edition of the hour. July. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I knew it was pretty. I believe that was in in Watauga County too. Yeah, I think it was, Rufus. I think it was Elk Elk Knob or somewhere like that, close to Banner Elk. Yeah, Lily, Lily Patch Farm. Um, hmm. I'm not exactly sure. So before we get to tomatoes, Johnny, uh, tell us what you're doing with that pawpaw patch that I was unable to. I didn't have time to to get to it yesterday. That it, you said it's about 20 minutes from Oxford. From yeah, from from the office, uh, it's about 20 minutes. Uh, Carl Cantalupe, uh the extension agent. Uh, prior to to myself, uh, planted them, and uh, Carl has since passed away. But uh, we he he collected data up into twenty twenty fifteen on the plot, and then I guess twenty sixteen no data was taken because we're sort of in between agents. But uh, I've been what I've been doing is just taking weight and and count uh, fruit count and and weight just for production of the trees. There's four uh, different varieties, uh, Neil Peterson varieties. In this plot, uh, replicated six times, so there's 24 trees altogether, um, six plants of four different varieties. They're uh, Allegheny, Potomac, Shenandoah, and Susquehanna. Uh, Neil Peterson <laughs> names all his varieties after uh, rivers, I believe. So, um, they, you know, so we we started that, or Carl started that in 2007. He planted them in the spring of 2007 and started collecting fruit in. Uh, 2011, 2012, I think the frost got all of them. So really 2013 is when the, the data started being taken and uh, been been taken every year except for the 2016 where we're in between agents there. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's it's amazing the, the difference in sizes and, and production of each uh, each tree. Um, this was Potomac's year. I, I had said in the past several years uh, I would not recommend planting a Potomac Unless it's a good pollinator, and, and pollination for for pawpaws are a little a little different, but the um, this year was was Potomac's year. Uh, we've had quite a few uh, of of the plants we have of Potomac. They've produced pretty well this year. So, uh, Craig, you're going to have to 
collect some seeds from your friend and maybe start a pawpaw patch. Well, you know, she actually gave me a few plants, but our property here doesn't have a suitable location. So my oh. friend Adam is growing the two plants in Brevard, which How is about, that? about 20 miles away from me. So, yeah, we... Uh, you can always find a way to get something grown, even if it's not in your own yard. So you are into pawpaws, too. How about that? Well, well yeah. if, it grow, if it grows, it's interesting, really. Uh, yesterday, I made my first ever batch of autumn olive jelly, because we have a, uh, a shrub or a tree in our yard producing all of these little speckled brownish red fruit. Turns out they're edible, and people make jelly. So, um, you know, if, if we talk next year, you'll know, you'll know I lived through the experience. So are they olives? They are a little sweet. They're they're actually not in the olive family, but it's just a name they picked up. Oh. Uh, I forget the scientific name for it, but it, it's one of those uh, plants that was brought in because they thought it would be a good idea, and now it's taking over the world. Oh, <laughs> well, you you um, so you haven't have you tried? You said you tried it. It's, it's sweet, so you have eaten some. Yeah, they're delicious. They just have a, they're like pomegranates. They have a seed that you have to decide what to do with once you, once you start chewing on the berry. But the flavor is nice, and uh, oh. apparently there's a lot of lycopene and all kinds of other beneficial Fantastic. minerals in them. <clears throat> so we'll see how it goes. So what about uh, your tomato patch right now? <laughs> very, very um, concentrated harvest this year. We... We had more heat and more humidity, but the big problem was the afternoon thunderstorms really started cranking up about mid-July. So we we harvested our first tomato the first week of July, and by mid-August, all the plants were pulled out. A six-week harvest window over which we harvested a lot of tomatoes. So, but that's pretty much it. We've we've learned that growing here in Hendersonville, that's about our season: six, seven, eight weeks right in the sweet spot of summer and then the rains come and the disease gets very very heavy and uh so you got to do a lot of canning eating recipes preparations and um succession planting is just not in the cards for us out here which is fine because um, it gets exhausting after you tend 100 tomato plants over, over the summer <laughs> i would i would think so so you you do a lot of canning of tomatoes Right. Um, make, making sauce, canning the sauce, freezing the sauce, uh, canning the tomatoes. Do you make ketchup? No, we don't. We don't make ketchup. Actually, um, it's t- something that my wife and I don't eat a whole lot of. But boy, do we eat a lot of the uh, the tomato sauce. So, mm. uh, pr- and I did a uh, tasting in Hendersonville for the far- for their tomato day at the farmers market, which was a lot of fun. I had about twenty varieties with me and. For about six hours, I don't think I sat down or shut up because when you bring tomatoes out, people can't wait to taste them and talk about them. And, uh, you know, with COVID, the first two years we were here, this is the first time we got to do something where I'm I'm starting to really feel part of the, the gardening community and horticultural community here. So um, it's been really nice. Well, Craig, are you, are you finding that some of the, I call them old now, better boy, better girl, are coming back? Uh, I... I think they went out of style for a while, and, and, and I had one the other day from the farmer's market and just remembered that, oh, wonderful taste. Are they, are they coming back? Well, I think what happens is um, maybe it's humans, maybe it's Americans, where they need to switch things out every few years. People get a little bit tired of what's become 
uh, common, and they start getting a little bit nostalgic. Uh, the tricky part about things like Better Boy or Whopper, Supersonic, the old red hybrids, is if the seed companies decide they're not profitable anymore and they stop creating the hybrid seed, then those varieties will, will vanish forever because the secrets of the hybrids, the parents are always kept a secret. So, you know, I think a few hybrids have disappeared from the scene, but we certainly can still find seeds of uh, things like Better Boy, and they are delicious. They, they were the entry-level tomato that got me into gardening way back in the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Johnny, how were tomatoes uh, growing in, in Granville and Person County, people calling in a lot of... A lot of problems to you folks. Well, this was a, a, a fairly decent year early early on. It was it was sort of the same way as um, as Greg's uh, scenario was in the mountains because we got we, we started getting rain about that same time and a lot of them mm. did start going down. Uh, tomatoes just do not like the, the wet, humid uh, conditions, so uh, they didn't not going as, as long into the season as, as they do sometimes. Um, have a grower in Person County that usually has tomatoes on into you know late summer anyway, and um, it really went down when we started having that rain. So uh, a lot of diseases came in on him. But um, yeah, that, usually we can get a succession planting here, and uh, you know the Piedmont area. Uh, usually you can plant a, a late crop, you know, first of July or so. And, mm-hmm. uh, and carried them on in, but the, this year with, with the rains hitting about that time, it seems like it didn't didn't work out as well for some growers uh, as it does sometimes. So, uh, Craig, in what area of the country do tomatoes grow the best? What are the best conditions? Uh, California. The, the... Well, you know, I I remember I gardened in uh, Pennsylvania, suburban Philadelphia, for about the first eight years. I was really into the heirlooms, and that was absolutely great. You you could actually get mushroom soil you could work in. Uh, The weather was perfect, and I would actually have healthy tomatoes going right into frost. But that was was the late um, 80s into early 90s. And what's happened, I think, is it's hard to pin down your question because things are shifting in terms of the temperature patterns and the mm-hmm. intensity of the heat. Um, and, you know, places like Texas, where you're getting temperatures over 100 for extended periods, the pollen is actually being killed. So you're not going to see any tomatoes. Wow. So it's, um, it's a tricky question. But I would say Illinois, maybe Pennsylvania, anywhere where you have very few stretches of 90 or above and uh, the sweet spot of just enough rain not too much is where you'll probably have and then of course the really good soil um so probably not as many places as you as you'd expect mm, but uh i noticed uh, of course johnny was just talking about the tomatoes not liking the the humid humidity mm. in this area but uh, i guess P- pennsylvania has a little bit of that too it's changing. It, yeah. It's coming on. Yeah. Right? That sure is. Yeah. Yeah. So is it too late? To, it's too late to plant a fall crop of tomatoes, I would assume, Craig. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. In North okay. Carolina, I think. <laughs> well, certainly in the mountains, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people, um, to fight the temperature issues, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of more greenhouses, hoop houses high tunnels, things like that, to uh, not only extend the season, but to get... I, I know my friend Alex in um, up in Carborough, Peregrine Farms, 
he really had much more success with his Cherokee purples and other varieties once he started growing under high tunnels and kept the, the water from the rain off of his plants. It bumped his harvest out an, an additional month. So I think gardeners are pretty creative. Farmers are pretty creative, and we adapt uh, when necessary. So I think we'll just see a lot more different types of methods used to, uh, to grow things. Yeah, speaking of, of the Cherokee, uh, Gerald gave me a Cherokee chocolate, uh-huh. Craig, that I thought was just heavenly. I, I, I couldn't, I ate the whole thing at one time. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that came as a skin color mutation from Cherokee Purple and my Raleigh garden in, in 1995, just a few years after we moved to Raleigh. And it, uh, it's held true, and uh, and then Cherokee Green, the green-fleshed one, came as a flesh-color mutation out of Cherokee chocolate about three or four years later. So there's... So you introduced the Cherokee chocolate. What's that? So you introduced the Cherokee chocolate. Yeah, that's Cherokee chocolate's my fault. God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a great introduction. What, what, is, done, what is done well... Uh, what has done the best? Uh, give me some varieties that uh, seem to have survived the best this year in in the mountains. And uh, Johnny, if you can think of some up your way. Well, for me, that again, Cherokee Purple and Cherokee Chocolate did great. Um, a variety that I love called Polish, and it's it can be a little frustrating because there's many varieties with the word Polish in it. But there's one that a fellow from Pennsylvania sent me in 1988 that I've been growing ever since that is just spectacular. It, the fruit look like brandywine, the plants look like brandywine, but it's much more productive and it seems to handle diseases much better. And then my my tomato of the year is a variety that people have been begging me to grow for maybe the last five or ten years, and I finally got to it, called Captain Lucky. And it is a, uh, a one-pound green tomato that's modeled with purple and yellow so it's a uh, there's three different colors stirred into the flesh and it was it's zoomed up into one of the five best tomatoes i've ever eaten and that's out of about four thousand different types so now i'm going to create a, a run on captain lucky seeds <laughs> but it's fairly obscure it's not that easy to find yet but it is well worth trying wow is it is it capable of being grown in the pot craig uh is it so get uh, so tall if you probably prune it, prune all of your suckers away except maybe one or two, so three stem it and uh, really keep it well watered and uh, well fed because it's quite vigorous. Keep it to a six foot tall plant. You could you could certainly grow it in a ten gallon pot, and if uh, need be, you could grow it in a five. But you'd have to just really keep the water and food pumping into it to compensate for the less room for the roots. Right. Well, if you have a, a question about uh, this hour, uh, Craig's going to be with us for uh, just this hour. If you have a tomato question, uh, please give us a call at 919-860-9783, 919-860-WPTF. More of the Weekend Gardener coming up. It's 826.
get back to the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. We're back on WPTF at 8.34. Mike Rayleigh here along with Rufus Edmonston. Craig LaHoulier is with us from Hendersonville, where he, uh, the Hendersonville area where he resides now. And uh, the, the Epic Tomatoes is uh, his uh, top-selling book on tomatoes. And uh, you also have uh, you, you've also done a lot of research, Craig, into hay bales, and maybe uh, folks next spring can start thinking about using hay bales for various vegetables. Yeah, you know, I've pretty much um, when I when I was getting to the end of my gardening in Raleigh and growing in my driveway, it was eighty percent containers. And over the last two years of living there, I started easing in straw bales because Story asked me to write the book about it and I had to research it extensively and then I was sold on it. And then here, because we're growing on top of our septic field, it's all growing on top of the backyard. So we're now moved to about 20% containers and 80% straw bales. Uh, they just, they're, you just buy them. They're the equivalent of two 20-gallon containers, which means you're not paying for 40 gallons of potting mix. They make their own loam and compost once you get them charged up, and they start off uh, disease-free. So if you're growing really disease-sensitive heirloom types of things, um, the straw bales is a good way to get success. Plus, they yield very, very heavily. Um, last year, I think I was getting 20, 30, 40 pounds off of a plant, which is 60 to 80 pounds of the plants in a straw bale because I'm planting two to a bale. So... It's uh, a really good way to garden. Anybody who wants just to primer on it, I, I wrote an article for Gardening Supply, and I can send people the link if they just shoot me an email. But it's worth exploring if you've got a good source uh, for high-quality straw bale, wheat straw bales. Johnny, have you done any research with straw bales? I have not. I have, um, I, I'm aware of people using uh, that. Uh, I think my dad grew some uh, potatoes one year and some straw mm -hmm. bales How about that? Uh, years ago and one thing uh craig i'd like to to mention and i guess you have to be careful um now to be to get those those bales of, of hay or straw <laughs> where not been harvested on fields with the um some of the herbicides that can carry over into that because they uh there are some herbicides that you need to be aware of that can carry over in in the Mainly hay, I guess. I guess straw bales are not as critical with that, but uh, I know there's some you know uh, pilots that people will put on their pastures that you have to be careful yeah. with on um, composting and and using them in the garden. Uh, yeah, the the first year I um, first year I did straw bale gardening, uh, two of my forty straw bales killed the plants, and they were straw bales that I bought from the big box stores. So now I've I've moved towards uh, the smaller farm supply shops. Uh, I think when I was in Raleigh, I was using Campbell Road Nursery, and I don't think I think they stopped selling them. So then I was using Nor Norwood Road Nursery, but they they were really reliable. And up here, there's a real uh, tiny little garden shop, and I think I've in my three years gardening here, I've used about eighty of them, and all eighty of them have been just fine. Uh, so aim for organic if you can. Uh, try to have the conversation with the person supplying the bales that they can affirm 
that no herbicides have been sprayed on the field uh, because you don't want to dive into something with great excitement and then have it just fail within the first few weeks you put your plants in. So thanks for making that excellent point. Yeah. Well, Craig, do you do you stake it like you, you would a regular tomato in a pot or in the ground? Um, what I do is, because they're all on my lawn, I can drive stakes as long as I don't go too deep. So I've got the bales sitting in my yard, and it doesn't matter if you have them string up or strings on the side, they'll work equally well both ways. So you can, you can orient them to fit your needs. Um, you can direct seed into them. So I push four together and put a three-inch layer of potting mix on top and put bean seeds in or put, have little hills and put in squash or cucumber or melon seeds. But with the tomatoes or peppers or eggplant that are growing in the bales, I just drive a, an appropriately sized stake behind the plant into the lawn. I've also uh, inserted cages into the bales, the, those four-foot metal cages for shorter growing plants. You just need one stake to secure that in so that when the plant gets uh, heavy with fruit, it, it doesn't tip over. Right. Uh, the only challenging thing is if you have your straw bales in the center of a concrete area or somewhere where you can't drive a stake into the ground, then you have to get a little bit creative into how to keep your things upright. All right. Let's, uh, Steve is on the line from Garner. Uh, Steve grows a lot of different things. Steve, good morning. You're on WPTF. Yes, sir. I've discovered this year one of the dangers of, uh, or not dangers, one of the um, unexpected uh, consequences of uh, feral seeding, reseeding of tomato plants <laughs> is I got a, a really vigorous root uh, uh, out there. There is a grape tomato on it that gets about a uh, half an inch long and ripens. It never really gets very big. So I guess it's a, a new hybrid that I have developed. <laughs> <laughs> but in either case, they they are very intense. It's just that they don't set fruit very well. So I'm, I'm not getting a big yield out of it. Plus, the rabbits are helping themselves, too. <laughs> of but course. You were talking about uh, tomatoes don't like humid locations. If you go to Maryland and drive down the eastern side of the Chesapeake towards the Bay Bridge. Eastern shore, yeah. There are, must be thousands of acres of tomato plants that grow just fine along that humid uh, area along the Chesapeake Bay. And apparently this is where a lot of our ketchup comes from. I'm not sure. I think one of the things I was looking at, they said that the, one of the signs on one of the farms said that they sell their, that they are a Heinz farm and apparently they do there a lot of uh production tomatoes along those uh areas so apparently there are hybrids that do well in humid locations yeah it's a really good point and what i would suspect um i know the heinz varieties 
They've created a lot of their own varieties that have been bred with particular types of protections. But I would also be willing to bet they have a pretty concentrated harvest because they're probably growing determinant varieties. They'll look really great, and then they'll ripen the vast majority of their tomatoes over a one- or two-week period, and that's important if you're doing production like ketchup. And then those plants will probably be ripped out, and uh, a second crop will, will probably be put in. So there are lots of workarounds, but I think your point is, is absolutely excellent. <clears throat> Tomatoes are just a huge, huge business uh, all across the country. So uh, efforts to grow them well um, is pretty intense amongst the research organizations. Well, that farm on 64 has a lot of tomatoes, too, so, and they grow heirlooms. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the, the one that's open only a couple of months a year. Right. The, I, I know we are talking about uh, near Pittsburgh. That roadside stand. Right. Yeah. And they yeah, have hundreds I, of acres of tomatoes that they grow, so, um, anyway, I it's just one of those things that I've got some ferals that came up, <laughs> and it, they're fun to watch. I mean, they are. Yeah. If I just didn't have rabbits, I think I'd get some <laughs> tomatoes out of them. <laughs> hey, uh, did you guys enjoy the cake and the Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Now, we had a party. Uh, Craig, we, we were at Logan's uh, doing, doing a remote last week, and people uh-huh. were bringing us cakes and pies and all kinds of stuff steve brought us uh brought us uh some what was that steve i, I got I'm, I, huh? I made from uh my air my tomatoes oh yeah 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 that was my that was tomatoes wonderful. and figs and an onion and then i mixed it in with a mild salsa to enhance the salsa but the figs and tomatoes came from my vines yeah yeah we People were bringing us all kinds of stuff last week, and we we had a, we had a real party. We certainly did. And yeah, the pear upside down cake came. The pears were from my tree. I yeah. actually got some pears off of it. The squirrels were actually generous. They were actually <laughs> waving me over, saying, "Come on, get yeah. some while you can." <laughs> well, you know, pears uh, pears work fairly well in this area. At least some varieties, much better than apples do. In in Wake County, and in the Triangle. A couple of weeks ago, you asked me what variety it was when we were at the farmer's market. Uh-huh. It's a pineapple pear. Oh, okay. Which makes it very juicy and very sweet, which made that cake a little moister than I anticipated when I when I made it, but yeah. uh, it's still tasty. Well, it was that's, excellent. That's yeah, pear pie. You can't beat it. <clears throat> And the best salsa I think I've ever had. Steve. Yeah, Rufus was uh, was almost I drinking took, it. Yeah, I took the I took the jar home with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I, I tell you what, I I put it on some sausage gravy biscuit this morning. Uh huh. And wow, you talk about something that just explodes in your mouth. You yeah. bite into one of those tomatoes with a fig on it, and it's like biting sugar into your. A, a spicy sugar into your uh yeah that sounds like a great a, a combination gravy. a little sweet and sour yeah steve thank you right. buddy continued good health to you every day my chemo seems to be really doing I'm going well ahead. and then next month i go to once a month wonderful so that's I'll great <clears throat> go through it one time a month all right steve well good luck to you man all right 
Always yeah, nice to hear I'm from you. Listening to you all morning. Okay, so, buddy. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So uh, pears. Uh, do you grow any pears, Craig or Johnny? Either one of you. Uh, I do not. Um, but we are two miles from about twenty or thirty apple orchards. Yeah, I was about to say that's a, that's where you buy up. That's where a lot of our apples are produced in Hendersonville area. Hendersonville. Yeah. Next yeah. next weekend. The pears. Next, Go ahead, Johnny. I was just saying we have some pears we didn't actually plant. They just uh, sort of showed up and we found them last year. We we got a pretty good crop off of a, um, uh, um, I'll say a wild uh, pear tree. Oh. They were they were pretty good. We uh, we cooked them. We had some of them uh, fresh as well. Uh, they weren't weren't too bad. They weren't they weren't big, but they were they were pretty good. So you you aren't growing any pear in any uh, apple trees. I guess you don't have to <laughs> there, but. No, you know, next week is the uh, the annual Hendersonville Apple Festival, and they make a, a real big deal out of it, closing off the downtown streets. And the, the we found one orchard that has about sixty or seventy types of heirloom apples that they grow right there on the place. So that that made Sue and I very happy when we realized we can get Roxbury russets and golden russets and all of these Asapa Spitzenberg. So. You know, apples are just as interesting in terms of diversity uh, and the numbers of older varieties that are still in existence as tomatoes are. And, you know, Lee Calhoun, of course, is in North Carolina with his zillions of different varieties. Yes. There's a place on the Blue Ridge Parkway that's, uh, I don't know, between between Asheville and, and Boone that uh, is an old orchard. It's still still maintained and I cannot think think of the name of it, of course. But uh, yeah, apple varieties are—I mean, there's so so many of them, and there's so many old varieties. That's that's another thing that I, I know you're glad to to deal with, since they are, um, uh, you know, older varieties, heirloom varieties. Are there any other uh, fruits or vegetables that you're interested in because of the heirloom varieties? You know, if I had the space, I would grow a lot of the older corns, uh, melons, uh, the beans. So I, I've had to kind of focus myself on just a few things, but it, it, it is just all fascinating. And there's actually a site that has digitized about 80,000 different seed catalogs from between 1850 and the 1950s. Um, I'll have to send you the link to it so you guys can share it around. Good. Mm-hmm. But you can Gracious. just go online and put in a date, and you can just click through entire perfectly digitally scanned seed catalogs, and it just gives you a real appreciation for the developments of different varieties um, only for the last 170 years or so. So we're pretty <laughs> we're oh. pretty new to some of this. Stuff. I love the pictures that come of those old catalogs, yeah. too. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm sure Thomas Jefferson, uh, he grew pawpaws. He grew a lot of different things on his farm. Yeah. You know, Steve's phone call was great because it reminds me how gardeners often love food and love the flavors of things and love to cook. So that was a very inspirational phone call to hear him talking about the things that he created with the things that he grew. Well, Steve has been and his wife have been listening to the show for, uh, uh, I guess, <coughs> since its inception. So, uh, yeah, he's the daylily expert. Too. Yeah, he's he's a Hemerocallis guy. He is, you know, hundreds of varieties. Wow, 
Yeah, so daily. Yeah, daily. Sounds awesome. like he might have a um uh, one of the rogue ones that he has might be a a good rootstock for uh, grafting. And I was going, Craig, have you ever grafted tomatoes? Have you ever done any grafting on tomatoes? You know, I I've not because most of the problems that we have are things that come from above the ground. And mm-hmm. if I was in Raleigh, I certainly would have, because most of the problems there was, were things that came through the soil, like bacterial wilt and fusarium wilt. But here, yeah. um, what I need to do is just put screens around my plant so that none of those disease spores <laughs> float onto them. But uh, grafting does bring a lot of promise to people who have trouble growing things because of those in-soil diseases. Yeah, yeah. Nine one nine. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. I'm sorry. I was just saying one of the the ones that Steve was mentioning, the robust variety that he had. Um, I just thought that might be a good rootstock for, uh, yeah, for a uh, another variety uh, grafting onto it. Nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. We'll talk to Donald in Holly Springs coming up. It's eight fifty one. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. All right, it's uh, 8.54, and we're joined by Craig Lahoulier, or Lahoulier, and uh, Johnny... Johnny Cash, no. Uh, (laughs) Johnny Coley is with us. But uh, Donald is with us in Holly Springs. Hey, Donald. Uh, Good morning. How's the freshest water in the stream doing this morning? How's the what? How's the freshest water in the stream doing? Uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> All right, good. Hey, I got a uh, hydrangea question. We've uh, probably got a bed of 8, 10, to 15-year-old hydrangeas, and we're getting black spot on them uh, this season. Uh, and I've been spraying them with a copper fungicide. That's not getting rid of it. Um uh, and it, it is spread, you know, from one to another. I didn't know if you're seeing a lot of that this summer because we had a, you know, we went wet, dry, and now we're wet again, or is it, uh, you know, and, and what can I do to abate it? I don't know if you, Johnny uh, or Craig, is there anything, they do they really have to worry about something like this uh, late in the season? Is this hydrangea? I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing uh, Mike, but I think hydrangeas, is that what he's talking about? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Black spots that, that seem to be spreading to other leaves. But uh, leaves this time of year get get all kinds of spots on them. Is it necessarily. Yeah, see- that, is a, that is a fungus. Um, yeah, and he said he'd used a fungicide. Yeah, he's spraying, spraying with a, a fungicide. Um, we've actually got a hydrangea here at the house, and I've been keeping it. Fairly well sprayed. I've been using um, uh, corethylonil and a rotating, well, probably more serenade, which is a, a biological spray. It's a bacillus um, fungicide, and it is it has helped quite a bit. But the, the thing with the fungicide is more of a fungistat, so you really do have to do it on protective measure rather than mm-hmm. uh, wanting to. Uh, the best thing at this point would be to clean those leaves up after they fall off in the fall so those yeah. diseases is not sitting there waiting to jump on it again next year right and starting uh, a fungicide spray just about every week um and and if you can rotate a couple of different um 
modes of actions, uh, you know, with uh, a couple of different types of yep. fungicides. He was asking about he was asking also about pruning, uh, Johnny. Uh, as far as pruning, how drainages doing it right after they bloom, um, and if they're repeat bloomers, you want to do it after their first bloom. Yep. Um, after their second bloom is getting a little bit late. Uh, hydrangeas, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of the mophead hydrangeas now, not not the paniculados, but the um, they bloom on on this whatever they grow this year, they'll bloom on next year. So you don't want to prune them in the winter time, of course. That you'll yeah. be bloom, pruning your blooms off. Uh, the paniculados bloom on this year's growth, so they'll the same year's growth. So you can you can prune them a little bit later into the season or in the, in the winter time. But the um, the mopheads. You definitely don't want to prune those uh, after they're dormant because their their buds are their flower buds are there waiting to to open up. So the uh-huh. um, yeah, it's a little bit late now to to do much of of any pruning. We're looking at first of September next week, and right. uh, plants uh, the way they react to pruning is they're going to encourage growth. And right now we don't want to encourage growth on woody ornamentals because uh, we're not too far away from our first frost, and they don't have time to to harden off, to put off that new growth and harden off before um, we get that that first frost. Donald, does that help? Yeah, it does. One question, at the the root, at the ground, over time you collect a lot of leaves and debris. Would it help if I clean that up and spray there, or is it just spray the leaves? So you spray under, uh, and you know, after he uh, collects the leaves, does he spray around the tree or the shrub? Well, the, you know, like uh, um, the, just how leaves collect the leaves. If yeah. he gets the leaves up, it should be fine. Uh, you know, as long as there's no no vegetation there for it to overwinter on. Yeah, uh, I don't. So it's probably not not necessary, Donald. Soil, so. Yeah. Well, I, Donald, I know Donald. I have a, a sort of a unorthodox way of hydrangeas. We've got about twenty seconds. I don't prune it all until the spring of the year. And I cut the dead ones that don't come back green. Yeah, that's a great idea. Donald, thank you so much. I hope that helped. If not, call us back. Thank you. And, Craig, give us uh, your, your website and, and all the information we need. We've got about uh, 15 seconds. Sure. Craig LaHoulier at – so go to nctomatoman at gmail.com if you want to contact me. My blog is com, and my Instagram is at – nc tomato man and uh, my live shows on thursdays have ended for the year okay and i'll start them up again in march craig thank you so much my friend we'll be in touch i loved it let's do it again anytime. all right very Bye-bye, good everybody we'll be back wptf in raleigh 